Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast. We talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now the 16th day of September 2016. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording from a Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just a line drive from Sunken Diamond, the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. Today on the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, I'm going to do a real in-depth look at the fact that Bakersfield, California, is going to lose its minor league team. And I have mixed emotions about this. And this has been kind of on my mind all day today. 75 years we've had minor league baseball in Bakersfield. And, well, it's now no longer going to be there. Since 1940. Who am I kidding? Who am I kidding? I'm not going to talk about Bakersfield losing a minor league team. What are you, nuts? After what just happened tonight? I mean, (laughs) this is one of those... Look at when I get the whole thing, you know, you're talking too much about the Red Sox. You're talking too much about the Giants. Do you know what? I promise you. I make this pledge to you. This I vow, I shall do an entire podcast on Bakersfield, on them losing their team. I will do a podcast between now and the end of the year. You can write it down and take a tally, where I will do an entire podcast focusing on all 30 teams. Everyone will get their own podcast. Tonight, you're going to have to deal with me. You're going to have to deal with the fact that I was born in New England and I'm a rabid Boston Red Sox fan. And when you have a night like tonight, ah, it's going to be a nice feeling. These are the greatest kinds of wins if your team wins and the worst kind of win that can happen to your team when they lose. What I mean by that, this is a true te- teeth grinder or dodge bullet. When the Yankees took, what was it, a, a 4 nothing lead against the Red Sox, or 4-1, whatever it was, it was clear. Red Sox didn't have it. Eduardo Rodriguez didn't have it. Tanaka w- wiggled out of some jams. And I remember thinking to myself, well, you know, it's a four-game series. And, well, at least they're getting the Tanaka start out of the way, you know, because Tanaka's a fine pitcher. Uh, probably the best pitcher on the Yankees staff right now. And, you know what, and, and I found myself thinking, you know what, if the Red Sox are going to lose, just lose. Lose badly. Just lose, baby. Just take it on the chin and lose. And don't make it interesting. And they started chipping away, and Ortiz got a hit, and it was sack fly, and Ortiz got a home run, but then they wiggled out of trouble, and the Yankees started rallying in the ninth. I thought, and I did all of these things that basically rationalized it. Well, you know, they're still in first. I said, hey, Baltimore lost 7-6 game to uh, Tampa. I said, well, look at it. Even, even with this kind of rough loss to the Yankees, the Red Sox magic number is down to 16. And yeah, you know what? All right, so the Yankees are clawing back, but I don't see them coming all the way back. I mean, hell, it is a way. You know, there's all these little things to rationalize it. You know, we're in the middle of September. 
everything. So, well, maybe this will be good for baseball. I don't know. And they started chipping away, and then that ninth inning. And for the ninth inning, it was weird because it was almost as if it was the non-tyranny of the closer, that Joe Girardi, you know, for, for, the, for those of you who don't understand, those of you who relatively knew to swimming down the River Sully, um, the tyranny of the save is the notion that you are always have to bring in the same reliever in the ninth inning for a close game no matter what, and that basically you treat the person who is compiling the save as if they are Mariano Rivera or Billy Wagner in their prime, as if they're a difference-making closer, and you have to always go to the same closer for the ninth inning. And also that you don't use your best, also you don't use your best pitcher in any other situation other than the ninth inning with a lead. Interesting that you see that Terry Francona is not doing that with Andrew Miller in Cleveland, and he's bringing in Andrew Miller in all different types of situations. Do you know why? Terry Francona is going to the Hall of Fame. But instead, it was the tyranny of the binder going on for Joe Girardi and saying, we've got to match this person up here, got to match this person up there, and this, that, and the other thing. And then the Red Sox blew a chance to really have a big inning in the eighth inning. And Warren, you know, he didn't look that great on the mound. In came Tommy Lane, former Red Sox left-handed pitcher. And Tommy Lane struck out the only batter he faced. And when Chris Young came up, because it's a left-hander versus a right-hander, Joe Girardi looked at his binder and said, I am now going to bring in someone named Parker. I guess it was Peter Parker. Maybe it was Dorothy Parker. Maybe it was, I don't know what this Parker is, but it was, it was Parker Lewis can't lose. These are things I do not know. But remember, at the time, the score was 5-2 to two with one out and nobody on. And Tommy Lane was taken out of the game after throwing a whopping three pitches. He had a three-pitch strikeout. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And I ask you, yes, I understand. Young is a right-handed power hitter. Lane is a left-hander, blah, 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 blah. So for some reason, Lane couldn't face Young pinch hitter at that time. Is there some reason that couldn't happen? Because the worst thing that could have happened would be a home run that would have made it 5-3. to three. That's the absolute worst thing that could have happened. Now think of all the other things that could have happened. Fly ball, pop-up, ground out, base hit. All these things that would have been, you know, still a relatively comfortable lead. This was not a situation where, okay, the, the tying run is at the plate. And you have to mix and match and mix and match. Instead, they took out a pitcher who, well, threw three pitches, looked pretty good. And this, I guess, is the tyranny of, what, the binder? One thing that, look at, I give Joe Girardi a lot of credit as a manager. He's done a very good job with the Yankees, sometimes not always with the best staff. 
you know, people always say the Yankees have such a high payroll. The Yankees have had high payrolls and not very good teams over the last bunch of years. Not bad teams, just not great teams. And you see sometimes that people conflate the payroll with the quality of the team on the field. This is not an elite team on the field. Not for the last few years, for sure. And yet, over the years, he's continued to put a winning product on the field and, you know, done the best with sometimes a really, really shallow pool. But if Joe Girardi has an Achilles heel, it's this. Bringing pitchers in, taking pitchers out, that he makes so many unnecessary moves that oftentimes he finds himself deep into games where he has kind of used some of his pitchers, burnt through some of his decent relievers, and having to turn over the ball to some crap relievers in extra innings. But in this case, this was not a high-pressure inning. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, with a score 5-2, one out, nobody on, there was no life in Fenway Park. Nothing. And I remember thinking, while the game was going on, huh, is that interesting? Why do you, do you really got to take him out? Is this really that pressure situation? Say, hey, Tommy, see if you can get another out. Especially when you consider the fact that Dellen Patances pitched the previous two days in a row. And the last game he pitched against Los Angeles, he, didn't, he lost the game. He did not fare particularly well. It would have behooved the Yankees to tell Dellen Patances, just sit in the, in the bullpen, take the day off. Tommy Lane, if he got three outs with a three-run lead, would have received a save. Now, I've talked at length ad nauseum and probably to the rolling eyes of some of you out there, the fact that I think that's ridiculous. Three-run lead is not a save situation. You don't believe me? Watch the body language of the fans out there. That wasn't a save situation. The game didn't feel on the line. They take Tommy Lane out. In comes the guy Parker, who hits the one batter he faces, and then Joe Girardi panics and brings in Dellen Patances. Now, yeah, by the way, everyone, I know that should have been called a check swing on Hanley Ramirez with a 2-1 count. That's not why the Yankees lost. Dellen Patances looked like crap on the mound. And anyone who has seen a reliever at this time of the year that you drag out three straight games in three pressure point situations could see something like this coming. The first, you know, he could not throw a strike. The one out he got was because of, uh, who the hell was it? Was it, was it Young? Who, who, who was, I think it was Young, was thrown out at home plate uh, on a, the dribbler to the mound. Either way. Forgive me, it just happened. It just happened. And that was the only out he got. And the walk batters, lets up hits to Ortiz, let up the hits to Bookie Betts. Threw the wild pitch. It was a pass ball, but it was a crap pitch. And then came Hanley Ramirez. And, you know, at this point, I remember thinking to myself, giggling, saying, well, you know, good thing they took Tommy Lane out. And also... Frankly, I remember thinking, even if Patances gets this final out, they have burnt Patances 
for the next game, too. I just said, like, there's no way they're going to pitch him four days in a row. So I felt like, and again, rationalizing left and right, I came to the conclusion that, hey, you know, maybe if, this, if you have to lose a game, lose a game where they, you've burned through their closer and you don't know who the hell is going to pitch the ninth inning tomorrow. And then, friends, it happened. Hanley Ramirez hits a two-out, walk-off, home run, over the head of former Red Sox center fielder Jacoby Ellsbury. Now, by the time we saw Jacoby turn around, we knew the game was over because the tying run was on third, the winning run was on second, it was two outs, they were obviously running on the crack of the bat. But the fact that it went in to the stands and Hanley Ramirez could float around the bases, which he did. His feet never touched the ground. I think they just briefly placed his foot down on each base so they could count it. But you know what? His run didn't really matter. And it became one of those things of beauty. The, lo- the loss of the Yankees and the win for the Red Sox and a win on a day where everybody, and I mean everybody, wrote it off. Everybody was looking at trying to find the glass half full, so I'm like, well, you know, at least the magic number's down by one because the Orioles and this and that, the other thing. And instead, the fifth blown save by Batansis, the sixth loss of the season, four runs in one-third of an inning, three hits, one walk, a titanic blow to center field, and a five-run bottom of the ninth inning to win the game. Now, of course, the beauty of baseball is they play again tomorrow. Clay Buckholtz, who has sucked most of this year, is pitching. But Clay has pitched, has had some good games recently out of the starting rotation. Sessa's pitching for the Yankees. You have no idea what that's going to be. Price and Mitchell match up in, on Saturday, which I'm going to go on a limb, favors the Red Sox slightly. And then, of course, the Sunday night game, Pomerantz is pitching against someone named TBD. Red Sox need to win one of those games to hold serve in this series. They have to go one and three to hold serve and to lower the, get the magic number to at least 14. This puts the Yankees five games out with about with a couple of weeks left to play of the American League East. Any nightmare that Red Sox fans might have of the Yankees passing them, I don't want to say it's gone, those are famous last words, but man, it just feels good. It just feels solid right now. And I have to say a couple of things. A win like this brings out the happiness in me. I wrote on Twitter that I, I, I don't remember what pain feels like. If the Joker hit me with Smilex gas, I couldn't have a wider smile right now. I think the three greatest days in American history has to be the signing of the Declaration of Independence, landing on the moon, and this victory over the Yankees. I mean, I just think all is well with the world. And all this happiness and joy and 
little puppy dogs and baby ducklings quacking. But then it also brings out such a horrible part of me, a part of me that is there, exists, that I'm not proud of, of which I'm reveling in what Yankee fans are tweeting. I run to River Avenue Blues, and I read the comment sections of the people who are live commenting. And, you know, someone said it was something like, since I think I'll I'll screw this up, but I said like in the last like fifteen years, the Yankees are six hundred and sixty-seven and one in games where they lead by three going to the eighth. It's something bananas like that. And hearing all the stuff and people yelling at this and people calling for Joe Girardi's head and everything like that. And by the way, Girardi's gonna manage next year because there is no more secure job in the world than being the Yankee manager or general manager. He's not even gonna be in trouble. And I re I rewatched the inning. I rewatched it on Yes. Yes Network. I put on the Yes Network feed. Do you know why? I wanted to hear the Yankee announcers calling this. These are not good qualities to have as a human being. These are not things that I should be proud of. These are things I should be ashamed of. My mother is listening to these words out of my mouth right now. And she cannot be happy, not because my mother grew up a Yankee fan, which she did, but because this is the, is this the man that you raised? This person who feels glee at the pain of others. Yeah, it kind of is. Let's get down to brass tacks. It kind of sort of is. I got to tell you one thing. Well, I wrote this on Twitter and I, and I, cause it dawned on me cause I started to see like, you know, Stacey Gatsoulias and some of the other people I know who I follow on, um, on Twitter who are big Yankee fans. And I, it dawned on me that we as a race, the human race, homo sapiens on this planet, we who have evolved from the primates and who have become the dominant species of this planet, I think one of the great things and the great fortunate things that happened to our race, to our species, is the fact that Twitter did not exist or at least didn't exist in any sort of popular form in 2003 and 2004. Could you imagine how insufferable Red Sox Twitter and Yankee Twitter would have been in the Aaron Boone year? in the bloody sock year, with all that, with all, I mean, every, it would have been horrible. It was bad enough with message chat boards and everything, but to have it instantly directed to your phone, bling, 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 bling. I mean, I don't think we as a society would have survived. We'd have to hoard canned goods and fight each other off with pointed sticks and it would essentially be, you know, Mad Max Fury Road is an image of what the world would have been like if Twitter existed during 2003, 2004. Remember, those Mad Max films, they make it kind of vague. They said, oh, there was a nuclear war, there was war over water and everything. No, no, no. It was the Red Sox and Yankee fans got a hold of Twitter in 2003, 2004. And that's why they're in those trucks in Australia. I'm loving today. This is one of those days where I kind of looked up and I said, like, I think they're going to do it. 
I think they're going to do it. Now, if they take two out of the next three, that's great. I work, you know, in a series like this, I'm always over. So just hold your own. Just hold your own, and hopefully the uh, or who's Bal who the hell is Baltimore playing? Hopefully the Rays and Chris Archer can beat Baltimore a little bit, and hopefully um, the Angels can wake up and you know tomorrow Dickey, who's not pl pitching that well, is going to face Jared Weaver. Between Dickey and Weaver, would anyone throw a pitch that could get, would get a ticket if it was driving along the highway? I don't know. But let me tell you something, friends. Why am I a baseball fan? Why do I love this game as much as I do? And I think it's kind of obvious. I kind of sort of do. Because every once in a while, you have a game like today. Most games go really predictably. Team goes up in front. The bullpen holds it. Everyone goes home. But when you have a night that catches you totally off guard, friends, my dear friends, this is why I do this. I went from absolutely not caring to realizing this is going to be one of those games that I remember for the rest of my life. That is quite a swing. Not quite big a swing as what Hanley Ramirez did against Dylan Batances. Hey, I wonder if Batances is going to pitch on Friday. Go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. Hey, I'm going to send some love to my pal Chuck Booth at MLB Reports. Hang in there, buddy. Get well. Know that your pal Sully is pulling for you. And that I love contributing to your site. And I love keeping the lights on on MLB Reports all year round. And go to MLB Reports, not just to check the up-to-date listings of who owns baseball, but to read a lot of really good, solid baseball articles and analysis. And to see the archives of the past Sully Baseball Daily podcast. Thanks, Chuck Booth. Get better, buddy. Get better. Oh, by the way, the music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Did I mention you can send me an email at info at sullybaseball.com? I don't know and I don't care. Just floating through the air, through life and through happiness, over this wonderful victory. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the, what the hell day is it? Does it even matter? It's sometime in September. And I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Ugh, oh, just call me Sullivan.